0: Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show.
1: You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor.
2: <laughs> we're so off our game I know it's early we yeah last yeah. week it was late I couldn't talk this week it's early you can't talk
1: <laughs> so apparently midday is my time
2: you're a midday person <laughs> I'm actually a more,
1: an early morning person so it's like ten thirty now and we've recorded the podcast
2: and I have yeah. before that so just a lot has happened already today <laughs> <laughs> it's been a busy morning I need more coffee I know that oh,
1: well, I know it's almost time for me to give up my daily coffee because I can't drink coffee after 11 a.m or I don't sleep
2: well let me I okay how much coffee do you drink in the morning like how many cups do you have
1: well probably like lately it's been more than like three cups but I get up and I have a cup before I go work out mm-hmm. but really not a whole cup because then half the cup gets tossed and then I have like a cup when I get back, and then maybe another. So not that much.
2: Okay, that sounds like like I'm kind of three or, to four cups.
1: But can you drink coffee like in the afternoon?
2: No, Mm-mm. I can't. I could drink it till probably about two or three, maybe if I wanted to. But I'm usually done by eleven, like at the at the latest. Um, but usually I go like right like from COVID. It seems like I go from coffee. To wine. To wine. (laughs) (laughs) Water in there in the middle and then wine. (laughs) (laughs) I tried the trick of like um, having my workout like later in the day so that, you know, I couldn't have my wine until I got my workout done. But then I was just like, yeah, I think I'm just going to have wine instead of workout. So I was like, no, I need to go back to having (laughs) a workout in the morning. (laughs) uh, um, And I've
1: heard this from several people, I guess because the surges are going on and like the school situations, mm -hmm. it's um, like a lot of people have felt like they've gone emotionally backwards into COVID in the
2: last Uh, couple. Yeah, for sure. That's um, for me. Yeah. I'm like, our governor had, um, push school back to September 9th, which I thought was brilliant, honestly, like as we're trying to figure out and and COVID cases in Kansas are climbing, um, that I thought, you know what, that's a really good option for right now to try to get people to be wearing masks and seeing if we can't slow that curve or flatten that curve. Um, But then the state school board yesterday overturned her ruling and so now we're back in this mess and they're putting it on local schools, which I don't know. It feels like uh, we're lacking a lot of leadership and then when leaders are trying to lead, other leaders are overthrowing them. And I'm just like what? We're supposed to be on the same team and stuff like this. So it's, it's getting old and um, frustrating from my perspective that um, you know, I think our governor has done a really good job of trying to, to flatten the curve and make Kansans aware, and then you have other pieces of the government that just keep, you know, tossing her rulings out and then just causing more mass confusion and yada yada. So fun times. Well, I'm, in <laughs> I'm not really
1: going to talk about our governor. <laughs> Except for maybe, maybe they didn't know that you could, asymptomatic people could spread it six weeks after it was all over the news. Oh, wow. You see two miles from the governor's mansion. It's fine. That's um, but yeah, it's, it's been crazy here. Um, and so, I don't know. It's just like emotionally, it's been a little like, is this over yet? <laughs> so it's kind of like digging in for the next
2: Yeah, I think, I think in Kansas, we practiced, we did a really good um, trial run in March and April, everybody kind of did what they were supposed to do. And it really wasn't here. And now that it's here, you know, we're all like, we already did that. Like, (laughs) I'm like, well, we got to do it again. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's, it's been interesting. But, but I did, I got out of town for a couple of days uh, last week, which was, it was very, a very socially distant trip, Um, went down to, actually, there's a little town called Serenby, and we celebrated a friend's shared a big birthday, so we celebrated her birthday. And um, I got up really early, like way before everybody else in the house, and met a friend of mine who is a triathlete that got her very first gravel bike and hey. took her on her first gravel ride. It was so oh. fun, and she is a total badass um, triathlete. Like, has qualified for the uh, Kona, the Ironman, the World Championship three times now. Um, so my only advantage was I was braver to go down hills faster, <laughs> but she, she did it all. Like she, uh, you know, we would talk through it and she was going down zipping down the hills by the end. She did the stream crossing. Um, she made it up the really steep grade with the loose gravel and the, you know, uh, this logging road that they've been working on. So they just dropped a bunch of that big chunky oh, gravel yeah. right at the bottom of it. And then you hit a 15% grade. And it's really short, but it's like you hit that really loose, chunky gravel, and then you have to go right up this grade. And then the the because they filled the the soil back in, it's not super packed. <laughs> so she made it up. I was like, I am impressed with your first gravel That's ride. Awesome. But it was it was really fun um just to kind of see her out there for her first ride. And, That's, and get to do that with her.
2: That is I think that's the best cure for COVID blues is getting somebody out on a gravel bike that hasn't been out there before. So yeah, it's sharing, exactly. sharing that experience is awesome. So
1: is is she and hooked. She's hooked. She's totally hooked. She really likes it. Um, and then actually I just got another, a text from another friend that was like, I'm getting a gravel bike. I just talked to our this mutual friend. I was like, I will take all the triathletes out on their first <laughs> gravel rides. I like to be the guide. Um, what, so- what bikes are they getting? Uh, Katie got the checkpoint, the trek checkpoint. Okay. I don't know what Danny's gonna get. Um, nice. So she's a, she's always been a big Cervelo cyclist. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you get any riding in over the weekend, or, um, or did you get lost on any hikes?
2: <laughs> we did go do a hike at the the Tallgrass Prairie, um, and Ella came back with 14 ticks. <laughs> <laughs> which re- reminded me like the last time I take her under the groomer, we got rid of the tick and flea collar. So I ordered another one of those. <laughs> so, but um, I've been, it's kind of sad because it's been so hot and humid here, which, you know, you understand that. Um, and my mornings have become a little bit busy. So I've been, um, I've, I've had my bike back down on a trainer, which it needs to come back off. Cause then, then I get in that ridiculous habit of, going down to the basement and, you know, doing the ride on the trainer, which isn't good for my mental health. Like what I need is to be outside. So um, I need to pull that off of there today and get back out. But um, no, I've been doing like hiking and running has kind of put put itself back into my schedule for some reason. I, I don't know if it's just what my well, brain needs to be. Well,
1: you know how much time in the morning running's a nice Cause you can just do it in less time, right? Like yeah. you it's just like it, 30 right?
2: minutes. Like, you know, I feel and like I've gotten door, something.
1: to sit yeah. on all the gear. So it's a good, especially when it's so hot. I just, I don't like summer. I've said that many times. Just I
2: love summer, but it's been the humidity here is like the South right now. It's like 95% humid and you're just like, Oh, it's gross. Um, and the mosquitoes are really bad right now. So anyway, but um, that's the good with the bad. I have a
1: question for you. Yeah, when you um, when you go out on a long ride, what are your favorite snacks to take?
2: My favorite snacks, um, if I've if I've prepped to go on my long ride, there's usually some almonds in my pack. Um, I love to take bacon. <laughs> Just a bag of bacon. Yeah, like, you know, from breakfast, I'll just go ahead and make up the whole pack and then save it and then use it for like a ride snack. Um, A quick one for me, I like payday bars. Um, And then I do, I like, and Hannah, our guest mentions these, Lara bars are often in my pack. And then I do use um, Good Nutrition um, just because it's easy grab and go. But um, I do try to stick to real foods as much as I can. But what's in yours?
1: Um, I usually, so Fig Newtons have been like one of my favorites.
2: Mm. Those are so I good
1: to take. They're, they're super easy to take and they come in those little two packs. Um, and then, um, yeah, sometimes I'll get cliff bars. Um, I really like Swedish fish. <laughs> so I take those along. Um, yeah, so somebody in the group, had suggested making these rice part these rice things and they're like it's so easy that I was like I don't really cook like I can cook but I just like try to cook while I'm doing three other things and they're like it's just huh. the easiest thing ever and like I was like I'm gonna try to do it I'm gonna try to make them so of course I put the rice on to cook and then I start doing something and then I, I smell something burning and the whole bottom of the pot was scorched with rice so Needless to say, the rice bars did not work out for me.
2: (laughs) I've not had good luck with rice bars, but I am going to try that banana bar. Yeah. So we got to talk to a chef today, which was
1: really fun. We spoke with Hannah Grant, who um, lives in Copenhagen in Denmark, and she wrote several books. Uh, She has a TV show that you watched, right?
2: Yeah. Eat, Race, Win.
1: And then I watched it and I binged it. It's on Amazon prime and it's like six episodes and it's her. She was a chef for, um, she told us to say 16 grand tours,
2: 15 or 16,
1: 15. And then she was on the show was the 16th one, I think. Okay, cool. And so she gives us all the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a chef on like the tour de France, the Giro, um, all these major events and, um, just how to, how important your what you eat is, and eating good food is to fueling your performance. And yep. she's not a fan of gels. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's not. not, not the science behind why that's not good for you to fuel when you're doing long events. So she's really, she's not just a chef. She's a, very much a performance chef on how can you get the right foods to reach your goals. So um, it was a really fun conversation.
2: Yep, I was so stoked to have this one. So
1: I finally brought a guest that Christy was like. <laughs> because I met Hannah through some random, some various random things and talked around. Them. Oh, and she is going to give all oh, of that's our, right, a 20% coupon on her cookbook, um, Eat Race One, which I have. And it is, it's okay, so I did say I don't cook, but this cookbook is gorgeous, like, it's got all these stories of different high performance athletes in it and recipes that I am going to try some of the recipes, uh, because. She says they're all pretty easy to put together. Um,
2: we well. should do we should do that and put that on the YouTube channel. You and I can make breakfast, uh, make the banana bars.
1: Yeah, we'll try that. Yeah,
2: I'm. <laughs> you said it.
1: You said you would try it. <laughs> Who wants to? Maybe somebody wants to join us for that. We could
2: do yeah. We or we we could do it um uh, that way or yeah that'd be fun.
1: Yeah. We'll figure that, that out, but okay. you can go to her website, uh, which is com. We'll put a note in and get 20% off of the eat rice one cookbook by using girls gone gravel, all lowercase, um, for that. And yeah, but first you should go listen to this really fun interview with Hannah
2: Grant. Do it. Hey, Catherine, I'm so excited that Gooders come on as one of our sponsors.
1: I know we love Gooder sunglasses because they come in so many fun colors and sassy fun names like I got Lance's Afternoon Uppers and I got Rosé before Brose. (laughs) (laughs) they They're really fun and they're also performance sunglasses so they're no
2: slip, no bounce and polarized. They start at a ridiculously low price of $25 a pair. Which means that
1: Gooder is generously offering our listeners
2: nothing. Nothing. Nothing
1: at all. You do not need a discount when you already have the most affordable performance shades on the planet.
2: So go to gooder.com slash feisty, and that's G O O D R.com slash feisty now. These glasses even look good with mud on them. <laughs> they do. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, gravel community. I am so excited that this week we have, all the way from Copenhagen, a special guest. We have Hannah Grant joining us on the podcast this week.
3: Hi, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me on your podcast. I don't even know if I can talk, I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is really fun because it's actually a guest that I invited and it's usually Christie's friend. And she's like been fangirling for the last yeah. Time.
2: I've I've uh, been a super fan of Hannah's for a couple of years now. After watching Eat, Race, Win on the Trainer one winter when I was prepping, I think it was the year I was prepping to do DK. So um, it's it's really fun to have you, Hannah. Thanks a lot for for um, making the time to join us. It's awesome.
3: Well, you're welcome. This is a perfect time for me. It's uh, it's afternoon, so uh, perfect timing.
2: Yeah, you've got me with my morning coffee here trying to wake
1: up too. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're playing uh, time zone balance today. So if people are not yet a super fan of yours, Hannah, uh, like Christy, tell us about who you are and kind of your relationship with cycling.
3: I, uh, I'm i a trained chef uh, by a profession and um, a couple of years, actually more than a couple of years ago, actually 10 years ago, uh, I... Um, Accidentally made my way into pro cycling uh, working for, I got a job for one of the, the pro teams um, that had a Danish owner back then. And um, that was quite a, an experience for me, and that has led to a, a lot of uh, crazy experiences and things, um, such as the TV show Eat Race Win and the cookbook Eat Race Win as well. Um, but uh, it's, it's been basically been a decade uh, of, um, of uh, being in, in that world of cycling and cooking from like the nutritional side of things. Um, I don't know if I should make this long now or you want to ask questions. <laughs> I, can just, I mean, I can just roll it if you want. Um, but um, it, it has been a transition for me as well as also um, nutrition within the cycling world from when I first was put into it. So yeah, it's it's been quite a ride, um, and uh, I don't know how much detail you are uh, interested in. I'm I'm curious stories. With um, yeah, I'm
2: so curious of the stories. (laughs) (laughs) Like ten years ago, entering in. I mean, most famous chefs are male. Most famous cyclists are male. Um, (laughs) when you entered that scene, just how how out of
3: place did you feel? So as a, as a chef, I'm, I've been very used to working in a male dominated world. And yeah, back 10 years ago, um, when, I, when I landed that job, I was actually uh, put up uh, against three other chefs, male chefs um, battling for the job, basically. Uh, the team wanted, uh, they wanted a chef that had a Michelin star background, that could bring some attention to the team and create, uh, their performance food, um, uh, kind of like guidelines and like, uh, changed the world. So the team I used to work at was uh, back then called, uh, Saxo Bank Sun God, mm-hmm. uh, and was owned by Bjan Ries, a Danish writer who won the Tour de France in 96. And, um, he was, uh, he was always very focused to, um, try new things uh, like from a nutritional point of view. So he was one of the first ones to really focus on whole foods and, um, basically changing up this old school way of eating, um, as a bike rider. And when I say old school, it's very much pasta and ketchup and chicken, absolutely no fat. And then just race, 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 lots of uh, Haribo mix uh, candy. And that that's basically the old school way of, of eating as a bike rider. Um, So when I got uh, picked uh, for the job uh, as the only female out of the the, the four candidates they had, um, they they had a point with it because they knew that picking a female chef in like working for the team was gonna create a lot of attention because who puts a female chef in a male dominated cycling world? Like, are you crazy? And I came like, you know, I thought I was coming from from the restaurant industry and I had worked at Noma, which was the the world's best restaurant back uh, for the first time in 2010. Uh, So I was used to uh, working in this environment. Also, I'd been in the Navy. That's also very male dominated. And so I came into cycling and I didn't really realize or notice that it that it was so male dominated until people started pointing out to me that i was female and what (laughs) i was doing there and i'm like well i'm working and i'm like they're like yeah but you're a woman and i'm like is it a problem for you that i'm a female that's like you know cooking these things the i mean i'm trained i know exactly what i'm doing you know the end result it's not going to be worse because I'm female, but a lot of the old school, um, staff and crew, not only on, uh, I mean, uh, not only on my own team, but also just around in, in the industry was, um, they, they basically told me, you know, you don't belong here. It's not, yeah. um, it's not, you're not, you're not meant to be here. And, uh, typically if you tell me that it, I get super provoked and I'm like, I'll show you, you know, mm-hmm. I do belong here. Um, so you know it was it was it was a pretty tough start um, for me, and at the same time um at my first tour de France uh, in two thousand and eleven, I had all eyes on we had uh, back then we had the writer Alberto Contador who um, we had gotten from the team Astana and there had been a big case uh, on him from a previous team with a contaminated steak. Um, and he changed teams. And so we were so focused on the team to make sure that all the food was clean and all these things. So I was trained very strict by our uh, press manager um, on how to deal with the press because everyone wanted to talk to me. So it was like a, what do you say? In, D- in Danish, you say uh, a fire baptism. Mm-hmm. So uh, thrown straight into the, the the Tour de France hell pit of journalists. He me, all kinds of questions um both about me my background what did i do like all these things and it was such an like it was just so outrageous to experience this um but one thing that worked out with this was that uh, as a female in that world from the outside people found it very inspiring to get basically a new energy into that world which also meant that, again, everyone was interested in looking at what I what I did, what I cooked, because I just had a different energy and a different approach to eating than everybody else in that world. So bring it, coming in as a female in that world had, uh, I mean, it was tough. I was used to dealing with or being in a, in a man's world, but not ever thinking about the fact that I had a different gender. Because yeah. in, in the restaurant industry, doesn't matter what gender you are, as long as you work your ass off. Sorry, pardon my French. Um, if you work really hard, no one cares what gender you are, right? But in cycling, it was different. Uh, girls were a few were swannyas or they were podium girls, or groupies, right? <sighs> so it was uh, it was it was quite interesting. Um, and I have experienced a lot of uh, times with uh, staff from different teams trying to pick me up, knocking on my door at night, like, Do you want drinks? Do you want this? All this stuff. I'm like, you know, it's it's been uh, You're also on the road. You live. It's gypsy life, right? You live in a suitcase um, lots of crazy stuff happens. Um, but yeah, you do get a lot of attention in in um, not always the best way when you are female within that world just to say now it's very different. There's a lot of females. There's a lot of female chefs and nutritionists. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a lot more mixed. So, yeah. So, so, um, being a female in that world, uh, I think was, it was tough, but it was also what made a difference in terms of, um, uh, me being able to get the word out there. People were very interested in what I was doing. Um, and, uh, back in the days, uh, I started using Twitter. <laughs> and so I would post all my meals that I did uh, after like in the evening, I would post images and just brief explanations of what I cooked uh, for the writers on Twitter. And if you search on my Twitter, you can go back and Daily Stews, at Daily Stews, you can go back and you can see- Totally doing that. Well, <laughs> like, it'll be like, we're in this area. Look what I got. Did a little it. All this stuff. You can basically follow all these old right races. I think I might have hashtagged like Saxobank or Saxobank Sun God or something like that. But so I would do that, and that started like people started following me, and they were so excited because all of a sudden, it was very new back then. They could see what the riders were eating. The same night they were getting food. Right. Sometimes I would even post it uh, before I served it. So like i prepared this for dinner the guys are gonna have it when they come back from the race and the guys would sit on the bus the riders would sit on the bus and they would be like oh my god like there's this on the menu right so then they would actually know what was on so it's crazy but but 10 years ago uh, twitter was um i mean it was it was a big thing to be able to communicate in that way mm-hmm. with food in that world um so that that kind of created the attention um and Laid the foundation of me being able to to write the first cookbook that I did, which was the Grand Tour Cookbook that follows the Tour de France throughout a whole um, Grand Tour with uh, meals uh, and everything that comes with that. Three hundred and fifty pages of, uh, <laughs> awesome. four pounds almost. So yeah, um, so so yeah. So it was uh, it was tough, but it was also good, and I think that was what. It made the difference in terms of me standing out from the crowd um, and being able to build what I've uh, uh, built so far and be able to do a, a make a show on Amazon Prime, which is, uh, you know, amazing if you want to get your message out there about, you know, performance, food and eating right. so. Well, yeah.
1: I would love for you to actually talk a little bit more about performance food because I did binge watch the show and people can get it on Amazon prime it is the race win. And it is an Emmy winning. You have an Emmy in your pantry. You're in your pantry, which is also, you have an Emmy in there. And, um, but you talk about performance food and how that changed. And like, um, I think for anybody that's thinking about, um, you know, they're cycling or a lot of people within gravel ride, lots of long miles, And then all of a sudden you start to see like, oh, why am I not improving or what's going on? And it really comes back to food. And you talk a lot about that in the show and in your book and how important, not just the right food, but flavorful food. And yeah, tell us a little bit more about your philosophy behind performance food and why you've seen that so important for athletes.
3: So one thing that I learned from working with professional athletes is that um, there's a lot of self-punishment going on. So everyone seems to think that to uh, eat healthy and eat the right stuff, it's sort of like a punishment because it's healthy and you have to eat the right things. And I find this, I mean, it's getting a lot better now, but I found this over the years that um, it's been like, you are punished or it's a drag to eat these healthy things. So my philosophy is to show people that the good fuel, the right food, all the healthy things can be as delicious as all your favorite things, which typically are comfort foods uh, that um, are maybe not the best for performance. But um, if you twist and you, you, you just know the small little tricks on how to like cook things right, you can actually make all these things uh, satisfy you in the same way. So when, when I first started uh, working with the pro riders, I thought that as pro uh, athletes being paid by a team, they knew exactly what to eat and they would eat exactly what the team said was good for them. Little did I know, um, they didn't. Um, they wanted, they wanted, uh, they wanted, um, the hotel buffet. They wanted, uh, ketchup, sugary things, uh, deep fried things, anything like pizza, burger, anything like that. um, because when you're tired and exhausted, I think most people can relate if they've been riding a long ride. If you're tired and exhausted and you're drained, your body is just craving like fats and salts and anything that's like just an immediate like um, like bodily like gratification basically. Um, so my transition was to try and figure out, you know, they really want the comfort food, burger world kind of food. Um, and the team demands that they get all these nutritious whole foods lots of vegetables like uh, legumes lentils uh, all these like alternative things that they were not used to eating and especially they tried to they wanted to avoid wheat and the uh, refined stuff so the riders did not want to touch that but then figuring out where is the golden spot for using the right nutritious and healthy ingredients served as the stuff that the guys like. You know, that golden circle, when you have the healthiest, right, nutritious ingredients being as satisfying as what they wanted it, meaning that they would eat it, then you have basically the best performance food that you can have. Um and it was obviously it took me the first year was it was a toggle war basically of me figuring out how did I introduce new ingredients? Um, because one thing I've also learned is you don't change people's dietary habits overnight. Uh, so most people, they think, oh, I'm gonna start riding a bike or I'm gonna lose weight or I'm gonna do this. Um, and they buy a cookbook or a diet book and they're like, I'm gonna change everything. And it just doesn't work like that uh, because it's too much to deal with it. And all of a sudden you can't have dairy and you can't have this and this and you gotta change everything. But if you gradually, this was my experience, start to incorporate better habits for yourself, changing out one thing for another, leaving out one thing, then it becomes more like, it's, it's more like a, a slow and natural way of changing your diet. Just like when you're training, you don't start out going 200 miles on a bike, right? Or 100 miles, you start slowly and you work your way up. So that's the same thing And my approach to food is, if you start with, I would take typically as, an, as an, a dish, I would take two main ingredients that I knew they liked and one ingredient that they didn't know or was sort of suspicious to them but healthy and combine them. And that was my, I could see that worked. So two thirds of the dish had to be something that they knew and liked. And then I could incorporate like one third of ingredients or like main things that would be new And then that would be, okay, they would be too lazy to pick it apart. So they would eat it and be like, hey, wait, I like this. And then you would add that to the list of what they liked. And then you would build on that slowly, slowly, slowly. You know, like I I made the mistake many times of trying to do a whole new dish with the main bulk ingredient of like something that they had never tried before with some cool, fruit and super fruit and whatever I would add to it. And they were like, whoa, you are insane. I'm not eating that. So the step-by-step baby steps to um, gaining their trust. And then um, then once they have that and they like that, it becomes, it becomes that uh, group of food, basically that type of food comes into the group of food that they're com- comfortable with. And that expands. And then all of a sudden your vocabulary, so to speak, your edible vocabulary is a lot bigger than it was before. And then you can really start to play with things. So my philosophy is very much, you know, take what you know, and then small, like make small changes. um, Because typically, you know, if you just do small step by step by step with flavors, like use flavors that you know, and then change the base ingredients, then you'll actually be fine. And it doesn't have to be complicated um and you know start out with breakfast don't do every meal like new 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 like baby steps that's definitely i mean think about how you eat as how you train Mm -hmm. train yourself into changing your diet and like eating in a different way um i think that's that's how i approached it with with the guys there and so yeah so a lot of the i mean there's another aspect of it as well is of course one thing is the the nutritional side of the side of things um but when you work with pro athletes that are that are under so much stress and pressure uh, on a daily basis you have to take the mind into consideration because when you are pushed to the max uh, maybe you crash maybe you didn't do well you're it's always you know they have expectations for themselves and if they don't live up to those expectations, you know, it's 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 a shitty day for them and they're going to point their finger at anything and say, it's because of this I didn't do well or it's the bike or the food or this and this and this and this. So you have to take into consideration that if they are feeling down mentally, you have to change your, basically you have to change your meals to boost the moral because if you boost the moral through food, it will help them get over it faster and not beat themselves up so much. So you can do a lot with food um, in terms of both nutrition, recovery, everything. But I would say also mental recovery because everyone knows comfort food. You feel sad, you want something that you know. And it's very much the same for riders every day. I mean, it's just pressure, pressure, pressure. And then either good things happen or maybe not. Or they're, you know, constantly thinking about how do you also help them um grief if it's grief or like get over and like recover mentally because that's such a big thing um uh, with it too because i I know that because i've seen i've made the mistakes of thinking you know they had a really shitty day it was raining someone crashed and i was like oh today we're gonna go super healthy this and this and they were just so disappointed right i should have just done like Uh, a nice uh, bolognese sauce, and they would have been so happy, right? Easy for me, they were happy. You know, that's not the day I had to show that I could go to the market and get all kinds of crazy ingredients. So it's the fine balance between that. So on the other hand, if it's nice and sunshiny, someone's done well, that's the day they're open to like, look at what I found. And then you get the conversation with them, and then you start this whole uh, thing going with them. So yeah, it's nutrition is both... From a physical point of wow. view but also from a mental point of view and I think that's what most nutritionists um, you know uh, forget sometimes because it's really hard to stick to a diet if you're feeling uh, emotionally down I mean that's when, yeah, that's when yeah, most that's people totally fail. and the balance has to be there you have to you have to be able to let yourself like give yourself Uh, a break so what whilst i'm saying that i'm not saying a break in hey go to the deep fried buffet at the hotel but go to what you know works like the lasagna go to the comfort foods that you can still make healthy but you know it's going to give you that like comfortness like that you need in order to like move on does
2: that make sense (laughs) oh totally (laughs) that makes i I mean it's in the, in the world I'm in, you know, we always talk at camps and things like that. We always talk about nutrition and we focus on, we always end up talking about nutrition on the bike. Um, And to me, that's the, that's the least important piece of the nutrition puzzle. It's, it's how you're eating every day that really fuels how your rides go. It's
3: so interesting because what they say is with a habit, a habit is what you do the most, right? Or like that's, that's what you are the most. And uh, typically, um, you know, I, I was known when I worked for the pro teams to, to say dessert is not something that you have every day, but it's something that you get that's really delicious, you know, on special occasions and if you do well and so on and so on. Um, but because you have every day on the bike, you have cake. Like when you're on the bike, you get to eat brownies. You get to eat all this stuff because the refined sugars and all these like super fast absorbable carbs, that is, that's what you need when you're doing uh, a crazy hill climb twice. You know, that's not what you, you know, that's not what you need uh, around it. Of course there's the mental part of the things, but so uh, yes, very much. Yes. The whole, like what you are on the bike is the product of what, you eat and what you train and your recovery and that's what most people also fail on doing is listen to your body with that recovery thing and also because your body is going to tell you what you need you know especially also food wise um, so yes it is very important to make sure that you fuel right also on your rest days mm-hmm. even on your rest days especially on your rest days because that's where you rebuilt and the recovery is as much a part of it as the, the, the building your, your power, um, and, and, and your energy as well.
1: Why to add Well, first I feel like ice cream is needed every day, but, <laughs> um, that might be why my pants are so tight. Um, but, um, I did one of the things you talked about, um, and I watched in the show, like you made these, um, the riders get these little bags that they pass out the window and I would totally crash. Um, but, uh, they were all real food and I know you work with Dr. Stacy Sims and she's a huge proponent of real food on the bike. And, um, so talk a little bit about that because I know there's a huge performance industry for foods, gels and goose and stuff. And, um, I came from triathlon where you do a lot of those things. And now every time I see one, I want to puke. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, why real food? How does that help? And especially, you know, you talk in the show about like that long duration of riding when they're, you know, riding for 21 days, why it's so important to have the real foods.
3: So when, when I mean, both as a pro rider, but uh, in general, as an athlete, um, you have to consume a lot of energy in order to keep going and recover, right? And so the reason why, so just to say the little bags that they hand out, they're called musets. So muset is like a, a small, like you would give the soldiers a bag of food, or it's the same thing you put on a horse's, uh, what do you call it? Snout um, that it eats from. So it's basically. Oh God, that might be a new product that we launched for cycling. <laughs> yeah, cycling, you can eat like that. So they hand out the musette bags or the feed bags as they're also called. Um, and just, just as a fun thing, my, my publishing company for my book is actually called Muset publishing because Musette is the feedback, right? Anyway, that was another side story. But so the feedbacks, um, the reason why that the the content of this is so important that we work with real food and not all of these gels and pre, uh, pre-made bars is that your stomach and your gut when you're riding and you're training, and especially if you're looking at the pro riders at the tour, is 21 days straight. It's under so much stress and pressure. And if you keep on feeding, your body and energy really, really high sugary products like gels, gels is um, and I know Stacy, Dr. Stacy Sims will say the same, uh, the devil's work. <laughs> you're going to create, um, you're going to create such a, a, a terrible atmosphere in your gut um, that you're going to start having stomach problems. So um The last thing you want to have when you are a pro rider is stomach problems and diarrhea whilst riding the Tour de france and I see this a lot unfortunately because a lot of the teams are sponsored by all these big brands the big brands they don 't care about how you feel inside and how you actually um how how you actually react to their products so a lot of these things um are made with very high sugar so high uh, a high fructose corn syrup um, together with artificial sweeteners uh, and or artificial sweeteners and uh, equal for all of these things are that they basically they interfere obviously with your blood sugar but also with your gut so they also help like basically the gels will also make you dehydrate as well which is a huge issue When you're riding like super super long uh, stages you want to make sure that you are stayed like very well hydrated and the gels they go in and interfere so much with the the fluid absorption um, that you actually end up dehydrating yourself as well as you ride so then coming to the foods a lot of these bars are um uh, a most of what i've eaten that are not like raw bars and natural bars because i actually do like those a lot of the companies that are out there like uh, I don't, I maybe I shouldn't mention brands, but um, Lara Bars, for example, um, they, uh, they they do have really nice products that are uh, like raw food type stuff. You know, I would make them a lot of the things myself for the riders. I would make rice bars, um, uh, like the baked banana bar. Um, so like things that are made with whole food that you know is gonna keep them full and you know is not gonna screw with their dietary system whilst they're on the bike. And also give them the feeling of actually eating real food whilst they're on the bike. Because if it's just sugar, 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 your body's going to crave more, more, more sugar. So if you eat like, a, like a, an energy bar, it's going to burn through fast. And you're going to have to keep up eating those sugary bars. It's kind of like trying to have dinner with cake and candy. It just simply doesn't work. You're going to peak and crash unless you keep on filling yourself up. These guys they ride for five six hours sometimes and they need to have we we need to make sure that they have this energy that will also last throughout the stage so that's why it's so important to give them something that they can actually keep full on for a longer period of time um, it is difficult though to eat on a bike so it has to be handy and that's why obviously we try and make everything into little squares and bars um and for my opi- opinion like i really try and stay away from all the refined sugars, because I know they do get them, they do get refined sugars, because they do get cakes. And I'm also saying they they also need these things on the bike at the right time, Mm -hmm. but not for the entire stage. So it's it's, it's a fine balance between when do you need what. Um, But of course, I'm a chef, and that means for me, I am always in favor of real foods and things that you've cooked yourself and that you've baked yourself. So even if you're bringing cake, because that is needed on the bike when you're doing these long rides, make it yourself because you just know that the ingredients in there is not gonna screw with your with your gut, no. which is really important. Well, I was
1: when you were saying that, I was like, Well, also nobody wants to get on the middle of a long gravel ride and have diarrhea.
3: <laughs> <'Cause there's laughs> I want to <no> <laughs> Some years ago, uh, the guy in the leading jersey, Tom Dumoulin, you can google this had he was in the leading jersey, all cameras on him. He had to stop on his bike, pull over every camera on the road was on him, and he pulled his bibs down and took a shit and lost his leading jersey oh. he <sighs> Do you, so here's the thing That's that they, they, it came out they They did a thing that said, "Would you rather like race through?" Win the stage with your leader jersey, and be like known and stand on the podium with shit running down your legs, or get off, take a shit, and lose the winning jersey. Right? It's a pretty hard choice. He picked one. He got off. Um, the he day happen- I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> you know how- There's a velocio bib, right, Christy? Yeah, no velocio <laughs> bib there. <laughs> so, uh, like, I mean, just to say, luckily, the day after he won it back and he finished the podium in, in Italy, winning the Giro. But it oh, was just man. such an absurd, I mean, had it been one of my riders, I think I would have, I don't know, I would have quit immediately. Just the, the knowing that one of my riders had diarrhea to get off. I know the team owner would have gone like, what is going on here, right? um so yeah so and, and then there is a reason to why this happens and that is because you are under a lot of stress and you do consume a lot of um a lot of uh, high carb products and a lot of the sports drinks that they drink are also full of artificial sweeteners and typically the sugar content is too high which also creates um a possible uh, diarrhea um, situation so a lot of these riders, they actually think they are hydrating, but what they're doing is dehydrating and creating diarrhea for themselves. Um, it's creating kind of bad Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 very, it's very frustrating when you think you're doing something great and you don't understand why you keep on having such a bad stomach. Yeah. Um, and uh, even, actually, I've, I've been very surprised to look at a lot of these like modern raw food bars, uh, And you look at them and they add extra artificial sweetener to the date bars. And I'm like, it's not even needed. What? Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, so yeah. So if you do value your gut and you would like to stay on the bike (laughs) for longer, whole foods is the way to go and real food uh, in the back. Yeah. And it's going to give you a lot more. Uh, a lot better base energy to get through uh, a long uh, training pass um, you
2: have some of those
3: bar recipes in your cookbook i do i have lots of them there's lots of them in eat race win yes everything from the baked banana bars to the rice bars That's, to little like, I to uh, bake, i've got to try the baked banana bars that sounds amazing they're, and they're they are so easy to make and you can i mean and easy to tweak and adjust so um yeah it's uh and they're good for kids i know that as well um from yeah. many so yeah for awesome. school yeah if we get to go back to school <laughs> well the kids well it's vacation here now the kids have been back in school in denmark um for a month or so before the vacation i don't know why anyone needs vacation we've been corona up for so long i'm like yeah yeah
2: anyway <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you ended up uh on 15 grand tours then correct as a chef but
3: yes so i did uh when i worked for the team i did 15 grand tours and then uh, when we shot the show i did another so i've done 16 grand tours total um six tour de france yeah five giros and five wells Espanas. um which is if you count it up it's a month every time is over i mean 16 months of grand tours insane i I can imagine it's like the like no
1: sleep insane just hustle 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 because you're driving the trucks from location to location then you have to cook the meals correct
3: yeah yeah so as a as a chef on a team you get up uh, as the first one prepare breakfast uh, serve it pack up your truck uh, wait for the riders to finish you know you pack all the food for after the race and the bus uh, and then pack up your stuff and then you drive about Hundred and fifty, two hundred miles to the next hotel, then you gotta shop, then you gotta set up, then you gotta like you basically just loop it uh, tw- it's actually twenty three days because there's two rest days also, and then it starts a couple of days early. Um so it's just yeah, it's it's basically we have as chefs um and crew on the teams, we have our own race uh <laughs> going parallel to the real race. Um and, and there's our- no Costco, right? Like there's no Costco in Europe. Uh, there's no Costco. No, it's local local shops, markets, supermarkets, whatever. I mean, it depends on where you are. Um, in the Alps, in the mountains, it's so hard to get anything other than cheese and baguette, <laughs> um, and that's not entirely the best uh, um, the best fuel for uh, for riders at the tour. Um, it is quite tricky. So, I had the privilege of having a pretty large fridge, so that meant I could plan ahead and prep and i would know okay we're going into an area where it's going to be really difficult to get ingredients uh, so i could bulk up Uh, sometimes i was lucky enough that i could call the hotels that we were uh, staying at to ask if they could help me with their local providers to get vegetables and like meats and so on because if you go to a little mountain shop i mean you basically get canned spam right that's what you get and baguette and brie and that's it. And maybe an old rotisserie chicken. So, um, yeah, so, so it's, it's a lot of logistics. It's, um, in, in that way that goes into it. When you are a team chef, you're, yeah, you're, you're the driver. It's logistics. It's planning. It's being creative. It's cooking. You're also entertaining, uh, sports directors and sponsors. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, um, that doesn't actually involve cooking. It's like a whole, whole universe that you have to keep on juggling, uh, for a month. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> I would typically sleep three, four days when I got back home. I bet, just like I'm done. Did yeah. you do
2: anything with the teams, um, prior to them coming to the tour? Um, like prepping any
3: recipes or menus for the riders to use or so, you know? um, uh, prepping for the tour was the beginning of the season, so I uh, I worked from uh, typically from February uh, to September. That was the season, so I would start with training camps for all the riders. And the cycling season in Europe starts in uh, March for um, Paris Nice, the race. So I would do all the small races before that. So I had a full pack program of races in France, Italy, Spain, Belgium, classics everything like that um the giro uh, the giro in uh, in may and then home after the giro is as long as the tour so the giro in may i would go home for three days i would come back to france work for 10 days do dauphine which is the mountain race the the race in the alps that's kind of the precursor to who's in shape for the tour and then i would go home for about Two weeks, two and a half weeks. Well, two weeks, and then start prepping uh, for the tour, which I would leave for, and then be away for a month. So it was full on all the time. I mean, just constant. Um, what when I first started, I would uh, make menu plans uh, from home, so I had everything planned out. And then when I got to the race, uh, I realized that I couldn't get any of the ingredients that I had planned for, and I could just <laughs> throw away my like two weeks of planning and work um, and uh, start from scratch. So you learn as a tour chef and as a cycling chef to, you know, you come into a shop or a market and you, you can scan it from like afar and you know exactly what you want. And so you just make the menu when you see what they have, you're like, okay, this, 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 this so it all happens here you know there's no you'd never write anything down of that (laughs) (laughs) i mean you obviously you can have some ideas but um it's just uh, you know disappointment comes from unmet expectations and uh, if you expect to find everything you need you're going to be disappointed so it's better to be surprised and see what's there and then roll it from there so that's 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 also my approach i like to cook with what's around me, seasonal, yeah. regional, all these things, because it also, in my mind, gives um, me and the, and the riders when, when I cook for them uh, the experience of where we are from a food point of view. Uh, because they're so busy on the bike. I mean, they get, they get a list that says, wake up, eat, go to the bus, put your things here, get on the bike, go back. I mean, they have no time to decide for, they, they're little robots, they do what it says on the plan. So, I mean, sometimes they don't even, when they're riding, they don't even look up because it's just, they're so focused on the race that they don't see what's around them. It's not like a, ooh, beautiful scenic area. Yeah, they're not, thing. they're not on a vacation. They're working. No one is on vacation working at the Tour de France. Everyone's like, yeah. oh my God, it looks so amazing. And you're like, S- you're so tired. It's crazy, right? Did you go see that? I'm like, no. The <laughs> 10 seconds I had to myself. I tried to sleep standing up or sitting in a car, um, so yeah, no, i I think the way that, as a chef you can uh, you can give people a sense of the area and, and where they are um, is through the food, of course, you know that makes so much sense, because even if they just get a little taste of it, you know, um, sometimes they get an experience out of it, and that's worth it as well.
1: What do you think the food that Hannah's going to do when she comes to Kansas is going to be?
3: i know that's pretty meat heavy but um (laughs) she's like already planning i I think i think it might be uh, that people will chase me down with pitchforks because i'm trying to like do veggie stuff like grilled veggies (laughs) this is a barbecue style like root (laughs) celery right everyone's gonna be like are you mad (laughs) <laughs> get out of our town Christy's scheming a plan
1: for a way to get to to Kansas and I think
3: yeah I think it'd be amazing <laughs> no I mean I I am up for it. I love it I mean I before I went into pro cycling working I was a chef on a kite boating expedition boat so I've sailed across the South Pacific cooking for kite boarders and surfers pro surfers um, for a year and um, we were sourcing our food on little Tahitian islands and fishing, you know, what we could fish and what we got on the islands and so on. So for me, I think as a chef, in my opinion, if you have techniques and skills, you can cook anything. It's easy to cook anything if you just have ingredients you want. The fun thing is if you don't have what you want, but you have to make things out of what you can get. Because that forces you, it's the dogma that forces you to become creative within the limits of where you are. And that's when you start inventing new things. So I like that. I don't like to have everything because I'm so bad at it, like boiling things down to you know the essence. I'm much better at being restricted to like, you have an, an onion and um, a piece of fish and this, make it happen. And then you make it happen. You know, it's much more fun that way, um, in my opinion. Uh, sh- many chefs will tell me no, uh, but um, I think uh, I think the restraints in that way is is definitely what makes it interesting to be a chef uh, traveling um, around the world. And also, then, because there's another thing to it. I used to work uh, in the restaurant industry, and uh, when you create food there, you create food that's you know it can be vegetarian or nordic new nordic cuisine or whatever but you create food for one purpose which is satisfaction of your customers but when you work for athletes you have the same customers every day but you also have to think about the nutritional side of things which is a completely different level yeah. added on to the satisfaction part of of cooking so it all of a sudden it becomes a matrix of emotions nutrition and uh, ingredients uh, that has to fit together and i think that's that's the exciting part about that world and and, and developing recipes within performance food
1: um yeah that's so cool well we could probably keep asking you questions (laughs) all day (laughs) we know it's getting late in the afternoon um where you are uh but you have a ton of well you have a couple of awesome cookbooks, uh, that people can get on your website. And then you have, um, and I actually have the race, win cookbook and I don't really cook, but it is gorgeous. And it's got all these like really cool stories of athletes and kind of behind the scenes things in it. Um, but then you also have a really great Instagram where people can follow you and get, um, you're doing a lot of recipes. You've been doing a lot of recipes during COVID and they're all, uh, healthy, delicious and performance focused, right?
3: yes they are indeed and easy to make yeah yeah so uh, yeah
1: that's one of the things you've talked about is like it shouldn't be this crazy hard thing to make if you like, learn some of the techniques and you're giving tips and stuff um like i saw this week you were even showing how to grow herbs on your, in your yes herb.
3: water propagation of herbs you know you you yeah i love i love the fact that you like regrow and reuse things so um yeah lots of tips and tricks and recipes um on daily stews on instagram yeah well we so
1: appreciate your time today and um cannot wait one day when i start cooking again i am going to try out some of these recipes i yeah i need to get the cookbook so yeah
3: well i will i will like to offer all the girls gone gravel uh, listeners a uh 20 discount off the book on my website oh. if they're interested
1: yeah we'll take yeah. it we'll, we'll send that out in the newsletter and put it in the um the podcast notes for this week we'll that info from you so thank you so much it is it is
3: worth it It is a really beautiful cookbook so it it works as a coffee table on its own basically (laughs) 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 well thank you so much for your time hannah thank you for having me um thank you for listening
1: the girls gone gravel podcast is a production of live feisty media subscribe like and comment on your listing platform Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at
0: girlsgonegravel.com.